Welcome to Mutuality Matters, Gender Theology for the Gospel Empowerment of Men and Women. I am the Reverend Erin Moniz, here with my co-host, Blake Dean. Hi. And we are recording from Plumwood Cottage on the beautiful campus of Barry College. And we're excited to be here today. And we're going to go ahead before jumping into our dating series and talk a little bit about watch, read, or listen, what we are either watching, reading, or listening to currently. So Blake Dean, pick one and spill the tea. Yes, I am currently listening to, and I have been listening to this artist for probably about six years, but she released an album last year that holds a very special place in my heart. It's called Patty Griffin by Patty Griffin. We love a self-titled album. It's very creative. And there, she just is a modern poet, if I've ever heard one. She's beautiful and brilliant, and you believe her when she sings. I recommend the songs Just the Same, mm. River, and had a good reason, and I recommend them with a tissue or four. <laughs> yes, I love. We've talked about this. I love. Her. I love Patty Griffin. That is an excellent, excellent recommendation. I would also second that recommendation to others. Um, in the meantime, I actually finally caught up with the rest of America, and last night saw the last um, or the latest Star Wars picture. Um, uh, the Rise of Skywalker, I think it was called. I don't know. I get a lot of them confused. I grew up on Star Wars, so it like we did the middle episodes, then we went back and did mm. the early episodes, and now we're doing the later episodes. I get very confused. Did you enjoy it? It's a controversial picture, as you say. Well, I did. I actually, I think because I w- grew up with the original three, with the original movies, which they hearken back to and sort of nod to over and over and over again, um, I love that. So for nostalgia purposes, I loved it. Sure. But my husband and I definitely were having some discussions about the love story in it and or lack thereof in some ways and about gender roles. And as so this is a very good segue, because like literally the whole idea of two characters and building up this love story that never really happens like what's the point like what are we doing what are we saying here so anyways lots of good discussion which i always love after a movie but i would recommend people see it especially if they're fans of the franchise noted awesome so with that in mind jumping in to our topic today which i just want everyone to take a deep breath just listening to the podcast deep breath everyone because we are about to crack open some stuff um and if you're tired of hearing about purity culture and hookup culture and all this stuff. We are hoping to give you a little bit of relief today with how we address the topic. And of course, we always appreciate your feedback. We are on all the social medias. So definitely give us your thoughts if you're listening to this and you have thoughts or questions about how we address it. But because we are in the series on dating, because we um, believe that people develop their understanding of gender roles and gender identity in Christ um, in the in these formative years, and especially through these methods and means, we wanted to address different aspects of the dating world because we believe this is really formative to the larger discussion that we have on this podcast. So, Blake Dean, would you like to start us off? Sure. Can I start us off with a question? Yes. Because you have more years under your belt than I do. I do. And so while I grew up in um, kind of the throes of purity culture... um, how did it begin? Where does it come from? And what do we mean by purity culture? I, that's been a really weaponized word. So can you help orient us historically in yes. what we're talking about? Absolutely. So 
while um, the concept of purity and even just themes of abstinence and sexual purity are not modern concepts, these are things that people have been talking about since the beginning of time, purity culture, as it is understood um, in modernity, actually is a movement that came actually kind of during the time when I was growing up, and a lot of it paralleled um, popular Christian culture. So when I was young, we were just starting to get our own bookstores. We were just starting to have our own, like, oh, you have rock music? We have rock music, right? <laughs> it's, and so we have t-shirts and we have all these things. And, you know, all like the Christian subculture really emerged and, and, and blew up in my formative years. So I can't remember if I was in middle school or high school, but it was one of those when Joshua Harris's I Kiss Dating Goodbye came out. And yes. while this isn't the definitive start of purity culture, I think... It's formative. Yes, the book that sort of is sort of the symbolic representation of understanding these ideas and these movements that were developing. There was also the True Love Waits movement that was during this time. And I mean, I remember signing the cards, uh, True Love Waits, Saving Yourself um, to You're Married. I sat in uh, these groups that we would have at camp, you know, separating the boys and the girls, and they would have these different conversations with us, which would include usually some sort of um, not very creative uh, use of a car like a construction paper heart or a flower or something, and you pass it around the circle and everyone takes a little piece off. And when it gets to the end, they're like, this is you at the end of having multiple sexual partners and having given yeah. yourself away. And so these were the messages. And the, and the whole idea behind it was um, actually sort of a pushback against some of the sexual revolution and free love stuff that came mm. out of the 60s and 70s. And so there was sort of this throw caution to the wind in the 80s and 90s where we started saying, um, hey, let's rethink abstinence. Let's rethink what it means to be sexually pure. But purity culture took on a life yeah. of its own at that point. And it's worth noting that um, the author of I Kiss Dating Goodbye has since recanted that work. Um, and so I think that's important to include that this formative book has been um, revoked by his author, uh, by the author 20 years later. Absolutely. We, we keep Joshua Harris in our prayers because he recanted on the book and then on his faith and vocation and life and ministry. And so there's a lot entangled there, but I, I have to, I will throw a little bit of shade because it's like, Oh, you recanted after like several decades where now every youth minister has this book on their shelves and now you're going to stop printing it. It's a little late, but it, it is, yeah. it is worth noting that that, and that I think marks something that we're facing now that we'll mm. address as we get, get, closer to like how purity culture has affected where we are today. And I also think it's important at the beginning of the conversation to show our cards a little bit and say that we both affirm the historic um, sexual ethic of the yes. kingdom of heaven. So as we talk about purity culture, what we're not saying is that we don't agree with um, with abstinence before marriage and right. all of these ideals. But what we are suggesting and what we hope to elucidate is that the way that we talk about the sexual ethic of the kingdom of heaven is really, really important Indeed, in caring for our brothers and sisters, sons and daughters. Yes, absolutely. And and this is just, just sort of a preview plug, but our next um, episode is going to be talking about singleness. So if you feel like there's some things we don't hit on today, just wait. I'm so They're excited. coming. Yes, it'll be good. And so that was your experience. And so you kind of grew up at the beginning of it. Yeah. And I would say I kind of grew up... Um, I mean, it's not over, but definitely towards when we were starting to become very critical of it. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think some some gendered expressions of purity culture were really evident by the time that I was growing up. Because for yes. me, um, as a as a young man, 
uh, I never experienced um, the flowers or the tape or the cardboard hearts. I never experienced the like more tangible expressions of it. Everything was simply implicit. It was, um, we weren't explicitly saying, oh, you become dirty or you become um, uh, this unusable piece of tape after having multiple sexual partners. But right. that is the way we talked about it, just in a more implicit mm. way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, we've discussed this before, but this idea that um, when it comes to to gender and how we understand that in the church, we can look to purity culture and we see that there are two different sets of rules mm. for men right. and women. And this started, and this was this was very evident to me just even as a, as a young woman in youth group, yeah. when the girls were taken off and the guys were taken off, we weren't getting the same messages. We were, we were not getting the same messages. And, um, in many ways, I remember talking to my guy friends afterwards and hearing what they were talking about and thinking, Oh, that wasn't even mentioned in ours. And of course the, the emphasis was lust and the emphasis was purity by looking up. Um, and I remember there was this one church camp where all the guys after coming out of that talk would just, anytime a a girl approached them, they would just Mm -hmm. look up And I remember feeling so insulted that no one would make eye contact because they had been told, you know, to just like avoid looking at us in order to avoid our bodies. Um, Because our body, and that's when I got the message that my body is a personal affront to my brothers Mm. and that the very skin that I inhabit is, is, um, is their imminent downfall. Um, And I, no one told me that, but it was those kinds of things. And, and I remember thinking about, and of course, this this emerged so many years later when I started doing college ministry and actually seeing women who have these um, these just tragic stories of porn addiction and, mm-hmm. and dealing with um, masturbation. But lust has been a problem for women so much more than we've recognized mm. in the resources and the discussions. So while the guys were getting the talk about avoiding lust, the girls were getting talks about avoiding being objects of lust. Yeah. But there were, I know many women who were probably struggling with that at the same time, but getting different messages. And in that, what, what comes to light is kind of the way that we view um, male sexuality different than female sexuality, Indeed. right? Yes, exactly. Um, so instead of following what I would argue is the thrust of scripture, which is saying, lust is sin for right. everyone, yes. right? We, um, we overemphasize men as the agents of sexuality, whether that be... Um, a healthy agent of sexuality in marriage or whether that be um, lust or masturbation or porn. And not that these things are celebrated for men by any stretch of the imagination, but um, there is at least an um, understanding or an assumption that this is something that men struggle with and walk through. Whereas for our sisters, that's not an assumption. So not only are you having to be vulnerable with your own story, um, you're having to break through stereotypes about your own sexuality to even get to the point where you can be heard and be vulnerable. And this is where we find ourselves. So the implicit message of, of purity culture, as it has been perpetuated, even though sometimes really, really Mm well-intended is you are pure as a virgin, um, or as depending on your rules, you are pure as someone who has not crossed this specific line of physical intimacy. Um, and then you cross that line, and the implicit message, message is, you are now no longer as pure as you once were. Yes. Which this blows my mind because we don't talk about any other sin this way. Right. As Christians, we confess 
we don't confess that we come into this world pure. Right. We actually confess the complete opposite. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that then we should licentiously have sex with whoever we want. But that is to say we have siloed this theologically from all other dialogues about every other sin to say, oh, in all of these other sins, we don't come in pure. We come in broken to be redeemed and restored by the working of the Holy Spirit through the sacrifice of Christ in relationship with God, our father, but in sexuality, we come in pure and you either, and we're going to get into this, you either you sin or you are sinned against. Right. And now you are impure because of a physical enactment. Right. Again, we affirm the historic sexual ethic of the kingdom of heaven, but this is a really important distinction in pastoral care and discipleship, especially for our young people, mm-hmm. um, in how we, what, is the grace of God big enough to meet us in our sexual brokenness? Or does the actions that we have taken or that have been taken against us wrongly somehow um, invalidate the grace of God? And I know that that's really intense language, but I think that is at least the way that I received it growing up, um, really well-intentioned. It was really well-intentioned, yeah. and I didn't grow up in really extreme circles in that. But the way that we talked about sex, or rather, the way we didn't talk about sex, yes, when the only way we talked about sex was in the context of pure versus impure, um, that sent a message to me that this is somehow a threshold that if I'm on one side of it, I'm clear. If I'm on the other side, I'm not. And it actually, even though we were talking about lust, completely um, invalidated lust as sexual brokenness. Mm. Because, uh, well, I I lust after my sisters, or I lust after this person, or or I've been addicted to porn for a decade, but I'm not having sex. So am I pure or am I impure? And that and that and here we get the problems, yes. right? Because so- while scripture is very clear about the sexual ethic of the kingdom of heaven and sex being for marriage, it is really, 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 really adamant on lust as a central problem. Yes. And and this is what this is this is one of the distinctions of purity culture as a modern movement, is that it it disenfranchised itself from the central message of the gospel in so many ways. And I think some of the well meaning leaders who were desperately trying to get across these messages of a of a good life, of a flourishing a relationship with others didn't intend for that, but ultimately they did. It's almost like when we talked about purity and when we talked about how to date and and what sex was and what to do with our bodies with other people, we um, talked about it completely separate from how we understood the gospel mm. enacting in our lives. And so one of the things that did, among other things, which we'll dissect a little bit later, is that it disenfranchised the idea of purity from the biblical narrative of purity because purity is in scripture mm. quite a bit, but it it doesn't actually reflect a lot of what we saw in purity culture. Purity culture took on took the word purity and took on a narrative of its own, yeah. which was central to the idea of behavior modification. I just rem- I, I remember the fear, right? The fear of these wonderful godly leaders who were just terrified of someone in their youth group impregnating each other like yeah and to be fair that's the nightmare of every youth minister like ground zero is one of the students impregnates another in your youth group on a youth trip like that's you know like that's that's the worst and in order to try to draw these young students towards um and a sexual ethic we we sort of pulled out on the stops of 
what was um, viable methodology for this. So fear and shame. And, and it just moved further and further and further away from mm. the gospel in an effort to try to regulate behavior modification. It's a theological scared straight method. Yes. Rather than an invitation into the grace of God in the life of God. Yes. And one thing that I, I find interesting is, and, and I'm waiting for somebody to do this, I'm waiting for someone to actually talk about purity culture by starting with the theme of purity in scripture, because mm. in the Old Testament, purity is a big deal, right? Yeah. It's a big deal. And it's not just sexually, though. It's food, it's clothing, it's like, it's it's hygiene, it's all these different things that revolved around the Levitical law and how people un understood themselves as set apart. But I have this um, quote uh, from Scott McKnight's The Jesus Creed, and I think it's just so interesting because I think it 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 takes sort of the narrative scripture and helps us sort of understand how we understand purity. He says, so everyone in Jerusalem knows that impurity is contagious, mm. right? This is very much about why all these rituals, I'm veering off the quote there. So going back to the quote, everyone in Jerusalem knows that impurity is contagious. It spreads to whatever touches it. That is why humans are classified mm. and segregated into the pure and impure. In contrast, purity is not contagious until Jesus comes. And that just caught me because yeah. this whole understanding of how we are divided into impure, impure completely turns itself on its head. When Jesus comes now, purity is contagious. Do not call unclean what I have called clean. Yes. And so the way we understand purity, because purity is not nothing. It's not that we should just be like, we purity culture in some ways has caused people to just toss that word out entirely as a bad word, but it's not, it's a wonderful biblical principle, but we need to widen our understanding of it, not narrow it in the way purity culture has narrowed it. Mm. Completely well said. And I think, uh, Scott, Scott McKnight says it beautifully, but it's purity is not our embodied walking around reality until we are under the blood of Christ and covered by the blood of Christ and living in the life of Christ. And that reshapes how we talk about it. So, okay, so that's your that's your basic look at purity culture. So now, like you were saying, Blake Dean, we're moving into sort of a reactionary state, the aftermath of purity culture, which in its most extreme form can be defined as hookup culture. Mm. So let's give hookup culture its due, just like we gave purity culture its due, and talk a little bit about what it is and how did it get so popular. I would love to talk about hookup culture. Give me your thoughts. Because while you grew up in the advent of purity culture, I grew up in the advent of hookup culture. Um, it is maybe not largely a response to purity culture, but it is largely a response to perceived sexual repression. Um, and it, it greatly separates um, emotions from the physical experience of mm. sex. Um, it's, I would argue, comorbid with... Um, party culture and um, substance use. Um, but more often than not, it's about um, our transactions with a, each other's bodies. So instead of sex being a communion of two people, it is um, receiving pleasure from someone else in, um, in small, short, fleeting moments. We're watching a lot um, upheave, similarly to how we're watching purity culture upheave like an upheaval. We're watching a lot of this happen with hookup culture, especially with the rise of conversation about sexual assault, um, because the lines get really, really blurry um, when um, everything is casual and communication is not um, loud and proud. And also, interestingly enough, we see a lot of our gendered ideas come forth in hookup culture yes. as well. 
um, with oftentimes um, women being the receivers and men being the initiators. Mm -hmm. Um, That is not always true, but um, as we watch kind of sexual assault conversations happening, that um, tends to be the trend. And, um, and it does seem, I think it's a fair framework to say it, it is the opposite extreme of purity culture, mm-hmm. but in similar ways, it, yes. it's embodied in different ways, but it's, um, the same where sex is something to be, where in purity culture, sex is something to be, um, afraid of, um, or something to stray away from and to draw a hard boundary against mm-hmm. hookup culture is sex is no big deal. And we should just learn that. And we're going to learn that by just doing it licentiously outside the realms of the sexual ethic of the kingdom of heaven. Quick caveat, because we are talking about the role of shame, both in purity culture and hookup culture, we want to say, no matter your experience, no matter what you have lived through, or no matter what has been done to you, um, you are fully situated within the grace of God and covered by the blood of Jesus. Amen. Um, and so even as we start dissecting these things more abstractly, we know that we can't dissect these things abstractly, but, um, our abstract conversations have real implications concretely. And we know we are not going to speak well about everything and we are trying our best, but we know that. Um, so we want you to know that our hearts are, are for, for people, no matter where you find yourself or where you have found yourself. Absolutely. Like we're talking about movements at large. Um, but we know and and what really actually brings us even to this topic at all, what brings us to want to speak to this and put it out on the interwebs is we see the faces and the stories. Mm. There's so much um, behind this. So yes, we, we, we see you and we care for you. And that's part of why we want to address this because every generation has these external forces that are moving and working to shape it. And theology um, doesn't get out alive on this. Uh, the culture often affects how we understand mm. different theological lenses by which we look at, especially Christian practice. Yeah. Um, and, and we've, the last two generations, we've, we've really struggled through this, both with purity culture and with hookup culture. But um, for more, I think if, if you are unconvinced at um, the way hookup culture is damaging this generation, I would highly recommend the work of Donna Freitas, who Ooh. has done extensive, extensive work. And she's actually not coming from a Christian ethic or Christian perspective. Mm-hmm. She has just, done incredible amount of interviews with college students. I also would recommend the work of Peggy Ornstein, who wrote um, one book in 2016 called Girls and Sex, mm-hmm. and then released one in January of 2020. So it's very new called Boys and Sex. Yeah. Um, and really exploring, again, not from a theological or Christian context, but really exploring the real life ramifications um, of the hyper-actualized gender roles that happen within heterosexual hookup culture. Um, I also would suggest um, that if we had to create a framework, which I'm hesitant to do because I know it's more complicated than that, but mm-hmm. if we were to create a framework and identify the key lies underneath purity culture versus hookup culture, which are two um, co-contaminant movements that are happening at the same time, but yeah. differently, I would say purity culture, the lie is um, sex disqualifies you from the security found in Christ and the full forgiveness of sins and hookup culture would say sex we have over we have overemphasized the importance and or um, significance of sex therefore we are going to minimize the importance and significance of sex yeah that's what's wild about both movements is that they make sex kind of everything and nothing 
That is well said. It is, and it is crazy. And I, I, I wish I, I wish that was an original thought. But after studying this, I see so many researchers who are like, "Wow, it's like sex is super important, and sex is not important." Like, like it's these divergent messages. And I think for people that are reacting to purity culture, because now we're seeing a ton of resources that are coming out in reaction to purity culture, and people who are living in and observing and looking at hookup culture, feel that there's a tension Mm. in both of them, that somewhere in the mix, we feel like we're being lied to. And I see that with my college students who, while they might lean towards one or the other, they're still not buying, there's something, there's something that's still missing, and they can sense it, that this is neither of these seem to be the full Mm. answer. And I would agree because in many ways they are reactionary. And so many of the resources today that are available to my college students are, are written in a reactive way. And I know we're wandering a little bit, but it feels like a crucial moment to say, I think where the insufficiency of both models comes out, at least in my own personal experience with people that I've been able to dialogue with, the insufficiency of both models comes out with young people that have experienced sexual assault. Mm. Number one, if I've sat across from some people who have experienced sexual assault and then are going, does that mean that I'm impure? I didn't want this. I didn't choose this, but I've been told so long, don't have sex, 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 don't have sex. If you have sex, then you are this. If you don't have sex, you are this. But what if it wasn't my choice? Right. Right? And so further silencing and sh- and adding shame to this experience that was not of their own choosing but was sin against them mm-hmm. um and then conversely in hookup culture when you're being told sex is no big deal 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 when sex was the it was a big deal was the catalyst yeah. for your own trauma yes. and your own pain how then that's a further silencing to go but this is no big deal, but I'm experiencing ramifications from something I didn't yeah. choose. So we're watching both of these come to a head. And I think the best place to watch that happen is in um, people that have experienced sexual assault. Yes. Okay. So now that we've put that out there, we would like to kind of tie it back in to dating <laughs> because this is our dating series. And so much, um, there's so much we're actually not going to cover. This is not an exhaustive like dating and, and sex and physical uh, affection within dating. Because I would like to say... And I will say this on every episode in this series. This was my one caveat to doing a dating series was that is a role for pastoral counsel. And for the two individuals, two specific individuals that are together, we love you, but we don't know you. So we would love for you to go seek pastoral counsel on all fronts of those conversations. Go get mentors, people. Um, But in in just in general, we, we really do believe that the way these cultural narratives about sex and sexual behavior are definitely affecting the way we're dating. I mm-hmm. see like the, the, the where these conversations come up is not in a vacuum. They are as people are trying to explore how to have healthy romantic relationships mm-hmm. together. And uh, the, we believe that there are some inconsistencies in how men and women treat and understand each other as a result of these narratives. And so bringing it on back to gender theology, um, we want to talk just a little bit about some of the great equalizers yep. that we believe in a, in a, a recapturing of the gospel yep. brings back to this discussion. So from my end, one of my big things is men and women share equally in their sexual brokenness. Go ahead. Oh, this, if I could just scream this from a mountaintop, we, I've, I've worked in student ministry, 
for close to 20 years. My husband and I do premarital counseling and we are really big into healthy relationships. I am working on a doctoral thesis about the theology of intimacy. Guys, let me tell you, I have never met a person who didn't have some sort of sexual baggage, period. Virginity does not keep you from sexual brokenness mm. because <laughs> I see people who ha struggle with masturbation or porn or voyeurism or fantasies or frigidness or fear or shame that has absolutely nothing to do with the physical act of penetration, yeah. but has everything to do with the way we understand our identity as sexual beings in the kingdom of God and in this economy we live in. And guys, men have problems with this. Women have problems Come with on. this. You and everybody else have problems with this. So we start with everyone mm -hmm. on a level playing field of brokenness, which means that when we talk about this, we, we're not talking about this in a genderized way. We're talking about this in a family of God way. Absolutely. And everybody needs a little bit more pastoral care, a little bit more time. Please, people get premarital counseling, get dating counseling, find mentors, get healthy people to speak into this. Don't just read the books or listen to the celebrity pastors. They sometimes have some good things to say, but just like Blake said, everybody's different, but just come knowing I need mm. some help with this. And that is okay because we are you guys are dating in order to have healthier marriages yeah. and this is a great place to look and start so nobody is the stronger upper-handed person both people are coming broken but good good news friends is that there is reconciliation and restoration available to everyone and i would encourage you to think about that process as you are dating mm. to think about how am i preparing myself how yeah. am i recognizing what is broken in me, the lies and the messages I've ingested, and how do I begin to heal so that I can actually yeah. have a healthy, wonderful sexual relationship with a person that I have committed to so that we can safely encounter this together. Yeah, well said. And I think it, it's a paradigm shift in the best way um, to say, instead of it being a transactional model of um, even, and I think sometimes we even do this in our effort to remain pure. We ha we make this a transactional model, which is, I think the question, how far is too far is still a transactional question. It is. Which is how much can I take from you? How much can I give to you and still be within the bounds? Um, and something that's been really um, helpful, really formational and really protective for me and my now fiance is to say, the, is a, a paradigm shift paradigm shift within the questions that we ask, which is in our physical relationship together, um, staying within the bounds of the sexual ethic of the kingdom of heaven, but then inside that bounds going, okay, how do I leave you tonight and respect and honor you and not lust and not make you an object of my lust when mm. I'm not with you? Yes. Right? And that switches up the entire conversation. The whole conversation. Um, and being really, really honest and upfront about our own sexual brokennesses has been really important. Um, to be able to give that to one another so that when, when I have to draw a boundary or when she does or whatever, like we get to, we're doing that knowing, um, knowing that it is out of love for each other rather than out of, um, an adherence to an abstract rule. Um, not that rules are bad. I'm actually really pro rule, mm -hmm. but I'm not pro shame in the upholding of the rules. I'd rather have boundaries rather than walls. Absolutely. Um, and so how do we ask the question differently? It actually externally doesn't look that different. Internally, it's a game changer. Absolutely. And I, I completely agree because 
what I find even just in my own study about intimacy is that it completely reframes how we understand our pursuits of intimacy. Do we know why we are driven to connect? Mm. We have these desires. They are good desires. They are given to us. Um, but positive, like sex positivity is not where we end. It's, it's it, like I read a lot of books now where I feel like every celebrity pastor's answer to how to fix this whole conversation about saving sex for marriage is to do God positivity about sex. Like, does God think sex, sex is good? Yes, he does. But let's move on because there's a lot more to talk mm. about. And that alone doesn't convince me. It doesn't, it doesn't put me in a place where I'm ready to yeah. do that. I need to also recognize that intimacy is for something missionally. And right now, also. like it or not, our consumer, mo- our, our cultural model is we are um, consumers and we are in, in commodities yeah. with sex. So much of how we treat each other physically in relationships is a consumer model, not a missional model. What So what would be the missional implications of our physical relationships to one another, whether that be or our intimate relationships with one another, whether that be um, emotional intimacy or physical intimacy? That is such a great question. Um, I'm going to try to be incredibly brief here with yes, this. Yes, you are writing a doctoral thesis. <laughs> yes. So the short answer is by, by my book love that a doesn't Wikipedia exist. version. <laughs> by the book that doesn't exist yet. Um, no, this is, a, this is a really important question. I would love to hear more pastors talk about. I would love to hear, I would love to see more books written on. I would love to see us as a church exploring this more, which is we're created to connect. That is something God has given us. It's primal and instinctual. It's not just romantic. It is something that invades all of our humanity. And there are good reasons why that happened that are built into the economy of God and the way he is moving us towards a kingdom ethic of more people knowing that he loves them and has died for them and and to live in this flourishing community Mm. these flourishing communities um and starting in a microcosm of our healthy relationships Mm -hmm. both romantically and in our friendships and in our family life the three intimacy motifs that are used over and over again in scripture to describe god's relationship to us yeah and that has major implications so as we are living out these relationships on earth there is um this this model of intimacy that's built in where we are relating to god as father as husband as friend Mm -hmm. and and that speaks to a larger picture here that we're missing when we think i am driven by my fear and loneliness yeah and i want to connect because i am living in an economy of scarcity and i have to get it and i have to take it but what if we came full Mm. what if intimacy was a result of understanding our identity in christ and our fullness Mm. what if we could love each other well and sacrificially, not because we're empty and because I need to get something from you, but because we are full. When I look at my brother or sister and treat them as objects of consumption, I've reduced them. I've objectified them. I have made this all about um, what Paul would say, their God is their belly, right? It's all about my appetites. It's all about being driven by those things. Instead of recognizing that those appetites have more to offer me than this this insatiable need to manipulate in order to, to get. And I think there's an invitation here where, because it would also be very callous and very ignorant um, and quite frankly, very unkind for us to say all of these things and go, well, stop it and do better, right? (laughs) Um, Because both you and I are sitting here with decades and decades of formation in a different direction, both, Mm -hmm. and most of the time by the well intentions or the, the good intentions of those around us. Um, And so, but I do think there's an invitation 
to prayerfully ask the Holy Spirit to reform us in this yes. and to and to reveal the places where we either view ourselves or other people incorrectly. I love the song. I love the song Be Thou mm. My Vision. It is mm. one of my favorite hymns because I think it is a it is the cry of my heart more often than not. Um, because often before I can ask for anything else, I have to go, Lord, would you just let me see like you do? I don't see this person like you do. I don't see myself like you do. I don't see the world like you do. And I want to, would you be thou my vision and thou my true word? Um, would you be with me in the process? And I think there's an invitation amidst all of the, um, the deconstruction of what purity culture is and what hookup culture is and where we are. There's an invitation there, I think, um, to ask and invite the Holy Spirit to reveal the places with, within us that have been deformed um, into buying one of the two lies yes, um, or one of many lies, um, either that virginity is the goal or that experimenting sexually won't hurt anyone or that if you follow the rules, you're going to be good and you will be blessed. Um, instead of those lies, what if the blood of Christ is actually sufficient and the call for us to abide by the sexual ethic of the kingdom of heaven is because somehow in some way and maybe in ways we don't understand it's good for us. Yes. Um, that it is a good gift that he is giving us, not, um, not a restriction. Um, even though it requires discipline, it requires restriction. It requires self-control. What if both in our sexual relationships and in our singleness and our celibacy, and I know this sounds trite, but I think it is just true. What if on cross the spaces, if we would just, lean into what the spirit of God and the paradigm shift that we are being invited into and what the gospel actually tells us about those things. What if it was good for us? What if it was life-giving for us? And do we believe as Christians, as believers, that our God is the giver of good gifts? Yes. I, I, I believe that wholeheartedly, Blake Dean. And on the one hand, I see this higher missional ethic that we are moving towards in our relationships mm. that we want to achieve. But I also want to hold in the, yes. in the other hand, on a parallel role, we are going to suck at this. Oh, my Lord. We are going to be bad at this, but that's part of the missional quality. And I think this is what we're missing in yep. both purity culture and hookup culture is that the idea that we are stumbling, that we are trying, that we are, the, that we are faltering, we're sin abounds, grace abounds. Come All on. the more, brothers and sisters, there is no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. You are still going to screw up despite asking God to come in and change you out of that malformation into transformation. I have been married 15 years and my husband and I, we strive to love each other well, but we, we mm. still fail. We still fail on, on, on ultimate levels every day. But part of the missional work of our marriage is how we come back together and reconcile and drink deep of that grace and forgiveness, mm. how we offer that to each other as an example for others in hopes that they look at that and say, that is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Tell me about how you can do this. And then there's Jesus. So even the broken parts, um, and we have to hold both of these because otherwise we'll swing to these extremes. Like, shall we send the grace should abound? You know, there's, there's that antinomialism that we want to stay away from in terms of grace is deeper still, but at the same time, guys, grace is deeper still and it's wonderful. And we strive toward this ethic knowing that intimacy is not just the reward that we get at the end of saying, oh, look, we're building a healthy relationship. Yeah. It is actually the vehicle completely by which we are actually living out this gospel. That's what's wild to me. And I am so excited 
and I know we're ending our time, but I'm very excited for the next episode where we get to talk about how intimacy is not just a physical experience of sexual intercourse, but something that we actually, as brothers and sisters of Christ, participating in the family of Christ, get to give to one another because it has been given to us. Absolutely. Um, So I really, really do hope, um, not for truly any selfish gain, but just because I think it's important and I'm really passionate about it. I hope you come back and listen to hear about that um, as we stumble through that conversation and make grace abound. Um, I would love to read um, kind of as a paradigm shift um, in our conversation about purity. I would love to read from the book of common prayer um, and ending. um, I would love to read a collect for purity because I think while purity is such a loaded word, um, there is something so deeply profound and beautiful about it when rightly understood. And I think this very short prayer um, encapsulates it. So I would love to read that for us and pray that for us as we go. Before you read that, Blake Dean, just, just to wrap up, because we've thrown a lot at you guys. I know we didn't cover everything. We didn't tell you mm-hmm. about how far to go or not to go in dating. We have a fourth episode where we would like to fill in some yeah. of the gaps that, that we haven't been able to address in these episodes. These are more larger meta narratives, and hopefully you hear that God has something beautiful in store for physical intimacy in your romantic relationships, and that ultimately we have to look, step back and look with discernment at the cultural narratives that have sort of invaded our theology and be discretionary in how we understand those and understanding that gender roles in dating, we're a lot more on the same Mm. playing field than some of these messages have told us and coming both as broken people and as people who receive grace and give grace to each other. We find that mutuality once again, as we support each other equally on Mm. this journey. Agreed. So let's pray the collect for purity. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Mutuality Matters. We are so excited to be with you on this journey. And again, please give us feedback on social media and follow us and interact with us. We have the fourth episode in this dating series, and we would love to get your questions and uh, discuss topics that we may have missed. Um, But thank you for being here with us today. I am Erin Moniz with my co-host, Blake Dean, and big thanks to our producer, Bailey Dingley. Uh, Thank you for listening.